and welcome back. This is the 44th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. This month, my guest is American producer Kavain Space, also known as R.P. Boob. Born and raised in Chicago with roots in the footwork dance scene and many years of DJing under his belt, Kavain is best known as a pioneer of footwork, a lightning-fast genre of music that borrows from hip-hop and ghetto house. Although RP came up in the 80s and 90s, he flew under the radar outside of the footwork scene until the mid-2000s, when his debut album Legacy released on Planet Moo, bringing his important and iconic work to the wider music industry, a long-overdue step into the spotlight. In this conversation, RP and I discuss his roots as a musician, the art of sampling as a nod to his peers, and the legacy he spent three decades building. so much for joining me. Uh, it is really such an honor to speak with you. Well, it's a pleasure, my pleasure. So I want to start off actually with something that you said in a previous interview that you did. Um, you were asked about what a legacy is. and You said, a legacy outlives you and when it outlives you, the world doesn't stop. You called yourself just a, a planter of seeds. Um, and You said that you can't take it with you when you're gone. So can you explain a bit about what you meant by that exactly? Well, it's um, from what I looked at with footwork and the credibility that I have got, I understood that it's a starting point from this seed that's planted. You cannot do this forever. Mm. And with that being said, I had to understand that those that will come after me will always some way somehow get to another level that I cannot reach mm-hmm. as long as it's still active. Sometimes it could be to even a pay grade a pay grade years after of something that you start, as long as you still in it, they would get more money. Mm-hmm. But that didn't bother me. So I was like, well, okay. If I'm put in this position of creating this legacy, I had to accept that. Now that footwork is evolving and it's still going from what I've been seeing, and it's growing tremendously. And what I've been seeing with everybody that I have met uh, after doing the traveling, the embracements, uh, the things I have inspired other people to do, I always hear the comeback response with thank you, we appreciate it. And I actually see these people doing it. My legacy will continue through others. Mm -hmm. And with that being done, 
who knows how long that it will continue. But I always want people, I say, no matter who you follow, if that person is an individual that's very creative, that set up a platform that understands that they are soon to leave a legacy and you follow them, find out what it is to be as great as them. And the person that's leaving a legacy wants you to be greater. Mm -hmm. And if you decide that you want to go the other route and be foolish with it, it's like you would never be a part of that legacy with this person. So a legacy grows with other individuals. And when I looked at it, I said, I'm good. I, I, I say I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun with it because I still have a job. Uh-huh. I still have, uh, I get, especially now after the pandemic and dealing with the pandemic, I kept, I kept working. Mm. Even I, I always did mixes for festivals, did mixes, interviews, and couldn't believe that I was still being able to do this, but it lingers from previous years of my conduct, mm. my character, um, the shows, how I greet people, because I'm a people person, and no matter what I do, my job for me is as long as I can see other people having a good time, that fuels me and make my energy level goals up. Mm. All I need to see is one person. If that one person, I could probably a stress reliever for them, introduce them to something new. And as long as they are happy, I can feel their energy. That keeps me fueled. So I work with people as well as in their everyday life and seeing them have a good time on the dance floor. Mm. I love that. And I really think it's such a beautiful way of looking at things, and especially the things that you've given to dance music just as a whole. Um, you know, this idea that you can't really be a legacy on your on your own completely. You know, you need you need the community around you to make that happen. Yes. So where does that perspective come from? Or like why is it important for you to stay sort of humble in that way? I was raised with with with, with respected by elders. Mm. And uh I seen how far it goes as I was younger. And uh it was things that life I had to learn outside of it, but I kept with the being respectful and I always treated people with, with respect. But then when it came time to be becoming the adult, it reversed. So I still had to give it in order to receive. And I always understood, give respect first, no matter what you do. If you give respect first, don't demand it. It's about your character, what you do, no matter where you at, indoors, outdoors, people are always observing and they're watching you. And dealing with this industry and what I have seen, you could lose everything in one second. Mm-hmm. Why would I do something that I haven't been doing that I grew older into have respect? So now it's my turn to give back. And with that, I say the results. The results mm-hmm. are outstanding, magnificent, um, it gets me further into places that I haven't thought about. It gives me more work unexpectedly. Uh, I get more, I get almost as more work from people requirement through email than I get through my agency. <laughs> I mean, it's funny to talk about legacy for 
someone who's as young as you are, I mean, we just talked about this before the conversation began that you're turning 50 this weekend. Um, but despite being only 50, you're definitely considered like a pioneer. Um, so yes. how do you feel about that? You know, you mentioned before people say, say things about you like you were ahead of your time and things like that. Like, how do you feel about those, those terms? Oh, I feel good about it because I'm, I'm used to it now. Yeah. I had to come into grips with it. And the enjoyment of making the music was one. Then uh, I had times in the mid-90s to where uh, my mind was like kind of overloading, thinking to produce this next track. But as the years went, I found myself becoming one with whatever I do and was not being afraid to just let it be out. I end up being molded into one with anything that I use music sounds what i visualize and it all adapts it to the the music and with that that's why i tell people if you enjoy the music just enjoy it but eventually you will find something out about yourself it's always going to be somebody that you can learn something from as i said their creativity but once you get it with them don't be afraid to explore the unknown because Going into the unknown, you will find something about yourself dealing with music that not yourself even do, but the people in the, in the time will tell you, did you know you do this? We notice your creativity has changed. Once that hit the person, it might still take them a little while to get it, but don't stop. Then eventually it's going to blossom. <laughs> what kind of things did you learn about yourself that you maybe didn't know about before? That um. I can tell you one of my things that I learned about, especially dealing with the music, that hit me like I was in my late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, when I was a teenager in high school, I had a teacher that she taught uh, English. None of the students liked her. <laughs> and it was one of those being in the adolescent days, you hear somebody say, I don't like this teacher, and everybody in the classroom do the same, but she, we didn't have no reason not to like this lady. <laughs> but she said something that stuck with me. She says, um, no matter where you at in the room, the, the average person might think that the best student sits in the front. She said, if you pay attention, you listen, you can sit anywhere in this classroom and you will become a better student. So mm-hmm. I took the challenge on and I sat in the back. <laughs> and as I'm sitting in the back, I noticed my grades and my participation as she's challenging me with things. Um, a lot of the students noticed that my grades started getting better. One day she says, I'm going to choose to write an essay. So she said, I'm going to teach you the structure of an essay and how essays goes. Mm-hmm. Got your introduction, the three body parts, yeah. and your conclusion. Uh-huh. So I got so good at writing essays, <laughs> real good at writing essays. At this point in time, I wasn't even into DJing, mm-hmm. but I said, what well, did I become a DJ? Over the years, what she taught me in the structure of the essays, I found out that all my tracks <laughs> was built off the structure of the essay. <laughs> I love that. It, 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 had, it had an introduction. The three body parts, but within my three body parts, I had <laughs> uh, a, a breakdown, 
and the point of wow bland just blew everybody out. They're like, what is this format? What is this format? All the time, I'm like, it took me all these years. I was writing my tracks off the structure of an essay. <laughs> and that's what I learned. And I never changed it. And with that, that's what separated me from everybody else with the production. Hmm. So I know that at the time when you were first experimenting with what we now call footwork, um, you you weren't trying to make something that was new. You just wanted to represent represent yourself and what you were feeling at the time. So can you talk a bit about that and what sort of that experimentation process looked like, like how you were exploring what you felt and what was going on around you at the time with music? Well, um, I was doing, we was doing uh, Chicago Ghetto House Just Detail. And so one day I end up going around and went to go get a uh, performance tape made, still using cassette tapes for a dance group. But I did that. So we went to another person's house, and that's why I first saw uh, face value for what equipment that people was using. And I seen an R7 drum machine at the time. And he was like, this is what we use, other DJs use, whatever. So I had ended up just getting a job out of two, being off for two years. And the first thing I did, I said, let me go save some money. I found out where to go get the drum machine at. Once I got the drum machine, then I ended up getting uh, my first sampler, which I bought from uh, DJ Dion. And when I got it, first thing I thought about was all these songs that people never ever used mm. i was a big hip-hop fan so hip-hop the 80s hip-hop is like one of the main things that got me going then listening to the 90s uh techno mm -hmm. and i'm listening to all these samples a lot of the samples i was like i'm familiar with these samples but it was my turn to use something that I never heard anybody else use. Sitting in the car, just listening to a, a mix, and Eric's playing uh, Mariah Carey's Fantasy, and that's when I heard the guy spinning off the two decks, and I could tell it was live. He got to the, baby, baby, come on, baby, come on, baby, come on. He was just going back for it. Baby, come on, baby, come on. But that was like a year or two prior before I got the sample. Uh -huh. And the first thing I thought about, and I ran across the rack, I said, I got it. I said, let me see if I could do this. I created a beat on it. Uh, the way I was feeling, the beat I created was none like nobody else, but I liked it. So now it was time for me to just say, oh, I got a, I got the role to play it now out on the big PA system. So when I played it, the people were like, this is different. This, it, it has a groove to it, but it's different. It doesn't sound like the typical ghetto house. This is different. 
And the next thing you know, uh, I did a tape uh, called Dance Matas. DJ Sluggo was going to, I think, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he, he was like, you got any tapes that you got for sale? I said, yeah. I said, I got. I just got a, a fresh case of 500. So I gave him a box. But he listened to it as he was traveling. So in the AM albums, I'm saying he get a phone call off the cell phone. And he's playing it in the background like, who made this track? <laughs> I did. Who made this track? He, I did. He said, when I come home, I will try to see what can happen to see if we can get this put out. Mm-hmm. So we end up doing like test press of 100 copies. And we took 50 and they distributed the other 50 out. But as it started floating around, everybody started noticing these tracks was totally different. Mm-hmm. This This music is different. So it was, I just kept progressing, but everything afterwards, every time I did a sample, I was known for just grabbing people's attention, like, how we missed this? <laughs> I got stuff stored in my head that I remember as a kid in the car, but now I have all this access to make anything that I want. Um, I love what you said about the Mariah Carey fantasy uh, little sample that you had there. So um, I know that your work is also greatly inspired by like just the everyday things that are happening around you, you know, tracks like Pop Machine and the ice cream truck, for example. Um, so I wonder if like that, that grounding in the real world kind of gives your music stronger roots, if that makes sense. Like it's sort of capturing a moment in time or a place, like giving us a sort of snapshot of your life. Yeah, because of, I can tell you about Pop Machine and Bow, those was easy. I was at work, uh, I was working uh, off this place called Speedway Timothy Oil. I did 15 years there. And I could just use anything that's around me. So we had this pop machine for years. Every time we get one, it was always a problem. So this customer goes and he tries to buy a pop. So next thing you know, he's pressed on the buttons and he says, I can't. He say, "What's wrong with this machine? This pop machine is just not working." And I say, "You just gotta go to the. You just gotta go to it and just press the buzz like work, 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 work." <laughs> and as I was saying it, I said, "Hmm, I'm going home and I'm making the track." And I went home and made the track. What about our good guys? His name was Marlon. His name was Marlon Rogers, and he was there as I was talking about it. And I came back the next day and gave him the CD. I said, press it. And he was like, bro, he was like, I remember you making fun, pressing the button, but you went home and made a track out of it. I went to a party on the west side of Chicago, and and I'm standing here, the crowd go, bah, bah, bah. So I'm like, okay. A couple of days later, I go home, and the neighbors across the street had a party. And I go to that party, and all I'm hearing is, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, okay. Put them together. West side, bow. South side, oh, bow, oh, bow, oh, bow, oh. And people were like, 
literally like this is true <laughs> this is so i take whatever i see and put it where i want it to be and one thing that a lot of people now figuring out only one person knew about it it was dj rashad and he trained as many people he said multiple reasons why rp is what he's at but it's one thing that he's very, very excellent at. Mm. If you pay attention to his mixes, he's telling a story. Goes back to the essay. I know how to tell a story through the mix. Mm-hmm. And and like sometimes I get the what track are you gonna start off with? Do you know what tracks you're gonna play? I'm like, nah, whatever comes up tomorrow, it's just there. It just comes. It just mm-hmm. just come out. So um would you say that footwork and your music maybe in general the the story that you're telling also has to do with the history of footwork the dancing in chicago like is that all kind of like is footwork the music also born out of that legacy like it wouldn't exist without the dance culture that came before it well it could go hand to hand but my creativity uh really is more about how i feel Mm -hmm. i would compliment the dancers through tracks and that's what I would do by seeing them and having a good time. But as of right now, still to this day, I don't need no I don't need to see nothing. Hmm. Anything. I could do this blind. <laughs> and as I do it, as the footworkers hear it, they be like, where did this come from? How because it's a uh, guy named J Ron Boyd, Prince J Ron, and we got King Charles. Over the years, they became the more modern-day footworkers at, at an advanced level. But they have this thing about when they teach their classes. They have beginner's classes, intermediate classes, and master classes. When they do master classes, it's all RP tracks. Wow, really? It's all RP tracks. Wow, what a compliment. You really think you could do what you do? You you got to now go through this track. That is so cool. All this, all these tracks were they were not they would not sit the way you think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they could change up at any given moment at a particular place, and a lot of footworkers still haven't got to the level. So I always been active. Mm-hmm. I never stepped aside of this music, and. As long as the music is steady being played, you have a lot of footworkers along uh, trying to capture what it is. And by the time they capture a track, it could be a track that's like 15 years old. And if they just catching that, I'm another 15 in front of them. <laughs> but I enjoy them doing what they do. And one thing about this gift is I cannot keep it to myself. Mm. I, you just cannot keep it to yourself, especially now with social media being out. Uh, you got more people trying to study and figure it out, and I tell them, go ahead. You you would never you would never master it uh, the the way I did it because I'm still working at it. I'm still it's it's things that I still have in my mind that I haven't created yet. Now I have what I need to create it. And mm-hmm. only if I feel like I want to do something, I do it. And I got like 
eight or nine tracks right now that's been sitting on the chopping block for like three years. Hmm. And I'm like, I got, I always got something to go back to. Yeah. And even if I'm making something new, I can start something new, but then go right back to it and say, oh, now it's time for me to work on it. Mm-hmm. So where does that creativity come from? Like, I know that, for example, um, you listened to the radio a lot when you were younger, guys yeah. like Jackmaster Funk. So what do you remember about those days listening to the radio? How did that spark your creativity? Did you immediately want to try making music yourself after listening to Jackmaster Funk, for example? Well, it was more of the dancing part. I seen uh, the, 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 all the teenagers dancing and especially at that time uh we were still experiencing uh new york breakers but instead of seeing the, some of the kids break dance because i love the pop lock i couldn't do the flow exercise <laughs> but then i started seeing a lot of the kids on the west side do more dancing than break dancing to these tracks mm-hmm. and so i'm enjoyed the passion of dancing all they did on the south side was just party party so now they are having house parties and that's the first time i was seeing a set of technique 1200s just sitting there <laughs> and these guys was just so good at djing playing the breakdance tracks the house tracks that farty bill was making but the way they was playing it was more of, um, to me, it sounded as better than their radio because they wasn't playing as if they was on the radio. It was just playing from the heart. I was like, man, this right here is something I want to learn to do. And one of the guys was like, man, we like, we love to see you dance. We love to see you pop lock. And I said, I want to learn how to DJ. So the guy said, you pop lock. And we'll teach you how to DJ. <laughs> but I ended up moving to the South Side for good and never found out which building they lived in. And so that was like 85, 86. Then I got in high school. We had a, a party, the high school threw a party in the gym room. And the guy who was DJ was a classmate of mine. And I did, I'm like, you DJ? He was like, yeah. And he was good. He was he was very good. So he asked me at the end of the party, he asked me where I lived at. And I told him, he said, I'm only three blocks away from you. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I asked him, I say, man, I, would, I really would like to learn how to DJ. Mm-hmm. And he said, whatever you get time, gave me the address. He said, come on over to the house. And when I met him at the house, I uh, met his mother, his brother and his sister, but this guy was one of the first DJs I have ever heard that nice, nice selection of all vinyl, all, nice selection, disco, house, ghetto house, like I never heard it before. And he took his time and he showed me how to DJ. Would you say that like maybe that footwork is a means to honoring the legacy of the artist that came before you in the same way that maybe DJing could be construed in that same way, you know, like honoring honoring the artist whose music you like and that you like it enough to play? Yeah, it's, it's it, yeah, because there's nothing new under the sun. It just changes every so, every so many years. It will change. 
And when it does change, it's all about a person that can tell you it stems from something previously before it. All genres, especially dealing with soul, funk, jazz, mm -hmm. gospel, house, it still lingers from that. It stems from something else prior before that. So in that sense, do you think that we're all simply the product of everything that's come before us, like whether that's music or culture or like our social lives or whatever? Do you think that you would stand a chance of being R.P. Boo if you hadn't grown up in Chicago, if you hadn't started dancing with House Somatics or like any of these other little elements in your life? Do you think they all kind of collaborated to make you you? As long as it could have happened anywhere else, <laughs> and especially at the time when it was happening, it was still uh, a lot of party scenes. No matter where you go, I, I can, I've never been to Baltimore in the 80s. Uh, I've never been to Jersey in the 80s and the 90s. But I know that the music was there. Detroit, Detroit had a, Detroit been going for so long. Mm. Uh, even New Yorkers, eventually, if I was in one of those places, even L.A., I would eventually still came out to be because of what was installed in me mm. and not being afraid to let it out. I want to talk a bit about sampling. We talked about this a bit earlier in the conversation, um, but I know that's obviously really important to your work. Uh, and we talked a bit about how samples that you took were, you know, from every part of your life. So how did you go about finding the things that you eventually wanted to sample? Like, was it just things that came up or were you digging for these things, like actively looking for them? Or were you just listening to music or maybe it was just something that was popular at the time? Like, what was that sort of process like for you? The only I can say was you say being popular. Mm. It was I stumbled along everything that I made that was at the moment popular. Mm -hmm. It was like my first time hearing it, and it became popular. Um, for instance, when I did eleven forty seven ninety nine, mm -hmm. the Godzilla, I was in a music pool, never heard it before. And I was in record pool, so I go to pick up my records. And the guy who runs this place, he always planned what he just got in. So he's playing the uh, Feral Bunch, Simon Says. And as he's playing it, I hear the intro. I say, is that in this month's uh, collection? He says, yes. So as I get home, I'm on it. So... I started breaking it down, but what made that sample for me was because being younger, my uncles, all they watched was the Godzilla films. And I was there. <laughs> I was there. And I always watched Godzilla just for the audio 
That's all. But I was like, I was amazed, but did not get the record. It was the clean version, acapella, dirty version. And I said, please let it have an extra look. And there was, so I put it off. I was like, oh, yes, I was just wet to work. What I did is track I called Ira Darren Ricky Taylor Space. That's my uncle and my cousin. Uh-huh. And every now and then, when they see each other for some reason, they will have words. That's what Outcast uh, came out with, Spotty Adi Dope Delicious. When I first heard it, and I thought about my uncle and cousin just going at it. <laughs> I went to the record shop and I bought the, bought the CD. That I did, but my sampling was more of backlog collecting. Hmm. A lot of people was more about using samples of what was popular. Uh-huh. And I didn't care. I noticed more than 50, 60 producers uh-huh. was doing the same thing. I'm like, no, nah, you got to be different. If it's if the old stuff is working for you, stick to what's working. And I stuck to what was working. It was not trying to keep up with what was happening. So I just read this story in one of your interviews. Jalen told the story that when you first met her, you gave her an assignment, which was to sample Mary Jane Girls all night yeah. long. Yeah. Um, and she said uh, in this interview that it's actually really tricky to catch the beat of that song. So trying to sample it is really difficult. So can you tell me a bit about like, yeah, making making samples and how how and why that becomes difficult? It's um, dependent on if you have the software and especially if you're not used to time stretching. With that, it could be very tricky because depend on if it's actually recorded off with live instruments. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it could be an off-key, depending on what you want to sample at, and that could be the hard part. But things are more now easier. I think sampling is so interesting, and I feel like it could also be considered maybe like a nod to these other artists like taking a snippet that you like and giving it another life, um, is that also a type of legacy in some way? Like, does it help to keep those songs from fading away? Well, in a way it can. The reason why I was used a sample and knowing that the producer used it or the artist used it, it was just for me saying, this is a song that I really enjoy listening to. And I, this is my thanks to being a person that enjoyed their their production hmm. and not try to sound like them, mm-hmm. just put my own twist on it to where I could get their attention to say, this is nice. In other words, you can flip it many ways if you can. But I said, this is just, I love to say thank you to a lot of these producers. Without them, I wouldn't have helped been because they came before me and they was teaching me the enjoyment of life and music alone. So that's why I was heavy with samples back then. But Mm -hmm. like now it's more about uh, straying away from sampling because Mm -hmm. the ideas that I have considered no samples Mm -hmm. and I've been working on some good stuff. A couple of it ended up on the previous albums 
and that was just a star. So balancing it out, but eventually there would be future projects with no samples and no samples at all. Right. So recently you were asked how your outlook on music and your process of making music has changed since you've started becoming more well-known. And you said that once you started traveling, it changed because you'd just gotten, uh, I think it was an MPC studio that allowed you to make music kind of wherever you were. I wonder if your music has also evolved. Like earlier we were talking about your tracks, trying to kind of capture a moment and being inspired by your everyday. And now that your everyday life involves, you know, traveling and gigging a lot more, um, are those the things that are having an impact on your music more so than like samples, for example? Yeah, uh, because it's uh, a lot of times I have found myself while I was out and something cut to mind, and I just make it right down the spot. Hmm. It's, it's so that's even better. When I don't have to come home, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to. I have everything I need right there in front of me, uh-huh. and I just track it out right down the spot. And I learned that from uh, DJ Spin and Rashad. Just if you got it now, everything is more mobilized. You can take stuff with you. Something comes across your mind. Something you see. Something you hear, and. It's traveling studio, so mm. everything that's around me is always something to be aware of, and it come up, makes me come up with ideas as I'm standing there. I'm like, oh, okay, mm. nice one. And like DJ Spears tell people, if you ever want to really find something, say keep your uh, keep your phone on you or keep a recorder, and you will hear something that will make you think like. That's a nice track to use. And hey, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what other, you, you mentioned that you're traveling now, uh, maybe not right now, <laughs> but um, lately you've been traveling a lot more for gigs. So what other cities have planted like a similar seed that Chicago planted for your creativity? Where have you been that has been particularly inspiring and maybe planted a seed of, of uh, inspiration that has manifested in some way? Every uh, everywhere I have been, I kid you not, every place I have been has inspired something about me, especially when it comes time to the music. Mm-hmm. Always, so it's is not no one spot. Every time I go to a place, even if I've been there so many times, uh, but like Japan, mm-hmm. uh, Tokyo, Osaka. Beijing, China. Um, I was in uh, Shanghai, China, listening to just radio playing, and I just kept hearing this song keep playing. And one of the promoters, he was with me, and I was like, I'm going to make that a track. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing you know, when I made it, I sent it back to him. He was like, I remember we were sitting at the bar outside and this bar was playing that you said you was going to make the track and now it's on the label. <laughs> <laughs> and so what about Chicago? Um, are you hoping that Chicago plants those same seeds of creativity in today's artists or like the next generation of artists? Chicago is very, Chicago is very gifted, but a lot of people don't acknowledge their gift. Mm. Uh, I'm here to inspire by what I post because more when I'm at home is spending time with the family. Only but only thing that's here, I'm an empty nester. It's just me and my wife. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
we make sure we spend time together. She's in school doing her thing. Uh, I'm traveling. Every time I get a chance to go out and listen to her, I'm more of going out and listen to house music than anything. Uh-huh. And that's because that's what she loved and she enjoyed. But like the footwork saying, there's so much other stuff that's going on. And I hear what they have to talk about. Is so much uh, madness in between of stupid stuff. And I say, all you have to do is pay attention. I talk to some of everybody about what it is. They're, they're, the focus is not on the creativity and the gift. It's more of what have happened with our life at this time, dealing with social media. It's everything is based off culture. Uh-huh. And it's all about not understand the vision of what they see and they think is a lot of money behind. Now, you have to work to get to these things. And uh, once you get there, it's, a, it's always a learning experience. I'm getting more gigs now at home, so oh my god, I'm, I'm loving that. <laughs> uh, because things have changed. It took us a while to start getting like more gigs in Chicago, mm-hmm. because before the pandemic and when time was changed, a lot of the clubs shut down. Uh, a lot of it's so segregated here. It was like more playing politics to get a spot. Right. But I was able to get a spot off of doing shows previously with other people, other artists coming in from like different cities or different countries that came to Chicago. And uh, I get put on a bill. And when I play, the management of this place and this venue, like, wait a minute. We heard about you, but for us to see this show and what we just saw, Mm -hmm. We've been missing this. And I, always, and I always get invited back. Last year, it took place. It just it just happened. It it just happened. Now things are evolving. Things are changing. The clubs are changing. Uh, the management are looking for people that still have this essence of knowing how to issue and display music but to a new crowd that's coming in. So it's like a learning experience to introduce the new generation of party goers into things that was always there, Mm -hmm. but they did not see. So Mm -hmm. they're dealing with with certain DJs and I got blessed to be one of those DJs. And I say, you never know who might be the next inspired DJ and producer that would come behind because that's still... Because it has to evolve. Mm-hmm. It's all about making it evolve, but in a way to where it's so enjoyable. But when people find out about it, like, where this come from? And we can tell them it's been sitting here all the time. It's just taking mm-hmm. for people to have an open mind and be able to really let their inner soul open up. Because it's music out here that will make you move in another way that you thought you could not move. So talking about evolution, um, we're going to come full circle here a little bit. Um, So how about your own seeds of creativity, like your own legacy? Uh, How do you hope that the next generation grow the seeds that you've planted? Like what changes or evolutions would really excite you as a producer? Just see it, all I'm saying is see it go up beyond my imagination. Because uh, being, I say, stepping into the unknown. Because 
you can't you could predict but you can't paint the perfect picture you have to live it and when you live it and if you're doing it right you're making making it new and uh i see a lot of people really enjoying it but being able to make it stem a little longer as well as apply it to its roots of a new genre to come. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't know, I don't know how long I might be around, but uh my whole thing is I have no plans on stopping. Not 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 no time soon. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at possibility of saying I have ideas that I know I can't do everything, but I have ideas of working with with different people, giving them, share my ideas with them and say, hey, I got something. Would you like to work on the track? I got an idea. Mm-hmm. I see when people have uh, good attention to their heart and the things that they are trying to do, and sometimes it could be stressful. Those are the ones I, I see uh, tap on their shoulder. I got something for you. Would you like to try this? And they just go for it. But I see it more a lot with outside is outside of Chicago that's even if they don't know how to produce footwork tracks but they in drum and bass jungle whatever I have had those people sit back and say you inspire me to create more in this field and make it become a little bit big so it could also not help one genre it can help other genres as well You've been listening to RP Boo for Air Podcast episode 44. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of every month, so check back in May for the next episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at, at underscore airpodcast or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash airpodcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.